Have you ever wondered how a kangaroo can live in a tree? Or what about crocodiles and how they can stay underwater for hours at a time and not be seen? Maybe what keeps you up at night is your thoughts of how box jellyfish can be the most venomous animal in the whole world towards humans? Or is it your curiosity of what really goes on inside that caterpillar cocoon for a magnificent stunning butterfly to emerge? Well, don't worry, as I have all your questions answered and much, much more with our following Wild Chats, I am going to bring you the most amazing guests. Hey everyone, my name is Jodie Creek and I'm a wildlife educator and huge advocate for Australian animals and of course their habitats and ecosystems as well. But what I'm truly passionate about is bringing you information that you need to connect with the natural world. So someone once said to me that I may not be able to change the world, but I can change the world around me. So let's hope that we can inspire you to make change at home and therefore together we do actually change the world. So get that cup of tea ready and enjoy the following Wild Chats. Dr. Martin Cohen, how are you going? Hello, Jody. <laughs> it's great to have you back. I, yes, I'm su- surprised I got a call back. Was it the first one that popular, was it? It was actually a very good talk. <laughs> a lot of people really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you. That's so very kind. don't diss yourself. <laughs> But we're we're back to talk about frogs and toads. Hmm. Because you asked me what else we could talk about, and I thought, well, frogs and toads, because they've been a, a big part of my life, not so much nowadays, but been a big part of my uh, why I got into this and, and, and my career. So mm. I wanted to start when I was a young boy uh, living in suburban Melbourne in the outer burbs. I was in Mentone, Cheltenham, if that means anything to, to mm. southeast suburbs. <laughs> and for some reason, we discussed last time, from the moment I can remember, I just wanted to play with wildlife and do something with wildlife and Harry Butler and all that were sort of my inspiration. So what I used to do was talk my mother, my, my lovely mother, who's still alive, aged nearly 92, uh, talk her into driving me out just sort of about 15 minutes away from suburban Cheltenham. There was the Keysborough sort of fields. Now, they're all factories and stuff now, believe it or not. They're, they're, it's completely gone. But there used no, to be Halebury College fields and there used to be all these open paddocks and they used to go out there to find frogs. And the green and golden bell frog, which is spectacular big, frog just look it up google it it's beautiful looking frog and that was my prize i used to get a couple of other little ones and and this is the infamous place where i also found a, a copperhead snake once and brought it home and mum was quite horrified but anyway that was that was the story for last time it's, so but the funny thing was I, I didn't have many kids my age that were overly keen to come out with me surprisingly <laughs> And I took my first cousin, who I, my very dear first cousin, who I'm still very close to, um, he's only a few months older than me, and I talked him into coming out. So mum took Paul and I out to this field. And we probably were, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11, and thought we were pretty cool, obviously. And, and I smoked, believe it or not. Oh, Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Had a little packet of Viscount 10s. I don't even know what that is. No, no, but people have smoked will, will know. They, they brought out these little packs with 10 cigarettes in them. You know, I don't know how I got them. And, and uh, anyway, so we used to hide them out at this field. And, and then when we go out there, mum would drive up, we'd light up a cigarette. Now, Paul never smoked, funny thing. He, he, for the rest of his life, he never smoked. I, I smoked for a few years after that. And, um, you know, we went around getting the frogs. And I remember that we were waiting to get picked up again. And I think we were having another smoke. And uh, we saw mum's car come around the corner. And so we ditched the cigarettes and got into the car and, and sort of, you know, because mum probably knew Wait, straight away. Mum, mum would have known straight oh, away. But anyway. If you didn't have any moves on you, of course. <laughs> and I'm uh, looking for frogs. Yeah, yeah, sure yeah. Anyway, uh, the, the, the follow-up to the story, as my cousin Paul reminds me, is that we went back probably a few weeks later and we came back and this paddock was completely burnt, oh. like not us. Speck of grass anywhere. It'd be <laughs> so yeah. Um, Paul reminds me that we set fire to, oh to a paddock in, in suburban <gasps> Melbourne. Well, I don't know if it was me, but let's let's assume it was. So yeah, that oh. was my passion for wildlife. Uh, started at a started. young age. Yeah. No, I'm not an arsonist. I've never <laughs> done anything like that since, and I've given up smoking a long, long time ago. So <laughs> it's the frog's fault. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my goodness! So, wow. Yes. Yeah. So sorry. Uh, yeah, I used to keep them at home, and I used to have a, a tank or enclosure. And the, the thing was, the poor frogs. Of course, I loved them, but they probably didn't love me, and they wanted to get out. And they used to bash their lip. You probably mm, had frogs yes, in captivity, yes. and and they yeah. bashed their lip. And I felt so bad. I ended up taking them back to the field, and, mm-hmm. and um. So that was back in the day when you could actually collect. No, yeah, I don't, I don't think I don't think there was any regulations no, about what I could do. There is now. Yeah, you can't yeah. do that now. No, for everyone. no. Was, <laughs> I'm, I'm 60 years of age, so we're talking probably getting on to 50 years ago. Mm. Um, You're smoking at 10. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh my it was goodness. cool in those days. <gasps> No wonder you set fire to the field. You yeah. had no idea what you were yeah. doing. Yeah, so I, I, know, I know I did turn into quite a, a reasonable smoker, um, as in, you know, with number of cigarettes in my early adult years. And then I started playing football at a sort of semi-professional level and I gave up and then gave up again later on. Well, that's good because it's disgusting. I know. I haven't had one in 20 years, so uh, that's okay. Well, back to the frogs anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Don't smoke is no. the message from this. Yes, definitely. <laughs> So you did your PhD in cane toads, didn't you? I did. So, so what happened is after and we we did go through this briefly last time, but I, I did a Bachelor of Science in Honours in Zoology at uh, La Trobe University. Then got offered a scholarship to go to Townsville to do a PhD in population dynamics of cane toads in northern Australia. Mm. So, and I got to Townsville. So it was nineteen eighty seven. I was just a young man, and. I had a my my supervisor I'd never met until the day I started, and his name was Ross Alford, and he was a American, and I had trouble understanding him. He had a very he'd only been in Australia a little while. I, I, poor old Ross, I, I probably shouldn't tell this story, but he used to pronounce with his American accent. He used to pronounce toads. Well, I heard was turds. <laughs> <laughs> And I and I'm thinking, why is he talking to me about turds? <laughs> <laughs> and then it's sort of the penny would drop and he's he's just got this strong I don't know, it was West Virginia. No, no, it was um South Carolina or something like that accent. Yeah, and, right. and uh so anyway, so yes, I, I did um uh, a field-based study for the next few years and I was in uh, the Townsville region. I had sites in the Townsville region. I had sites in Cape York and I had sites in the Northern Territory. Mm. So the idea was that with another colleague who was working on the, the aquatic stage, so he was looking at eggs and tadpoles. Oh, right. I was looking at once they emerged on the land and we wanted to – the theory behind the whole research project was to build a sort of a, a big – life cycle model of the cane toad and then be able to tell people down the track that wanted to put a control agent in you know if they magically develop something to control them that they would we would look at our life cycle and we would have identified areas to say you'll get maximum impact here because this is where they're struggling and and they do struggle in a couple of parts of their life cycle and i and i found one and and i think mark who was uh did the aquatic PhD on it, he, he found one as well. So we had all the, the information's there because no government has ever since developed anything in the way of trying to control them. Um, anyway, so, so my role was um, I wanted to look at the growth cycle or the growth, the whole cycle, and I look, look at growth rates from what we call a metamorph when a tiny cane toad tadpole comes out of water. So as frogs metamorphose, into, uh, tadpoles metamorphose into frogs. So a, a newly metamorphed metamorph was eight millimetres. Yeah, right. They did that faster and at a smaller size than all the native frogs. So what that means was cane toads were so well adapted to getting in, breeding, getting through that life cycle, aquatic life cycle quickly and getting out on the land. Because once they get in, onto land – as a normal frog, then they can develop and grow really quickly. Mm. And we found, so I did a mark recapture program. Uh, so I did some studies on the metamorphs and looked at um, the survival at different densities and distances from water. And then I did a, a, a mark recapture program on adults along watercourses at night. Mm. So, and that was done by toe clipping. Oh. Yeah. Was, yeah. It's a pest animal. You're allowed to do what you want <laughs> So you can do a series of toe clips on the front and the the, 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 the front feet and the, and the hind feet, and if you use four of their digits, you can get up to nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine different combinations. Oh wow! 
for the tone. Oh, there you go. So, so when you recapture it, you just see the toe clip. It's only, it's not like, it's, it's not, <laughs> makes me sound like some sort of villain, doesn't I'm it? It's like, a, uh, um, the, the toads were fine. It yeah, healed yeah. really quickly and, and you would get quite a good healthy recapture rate when come back with these sort of half toes and mm. I can read off what it was and measure it and weigh it and then do the comparison back in the lab about, you know, what's happened since I last saw it. Mm. And that gave me these really good growth rates for which no one had done before. Yeah. So um, how, how long is it um, at the tadpole stage? Like how long is it, is it typical? It depends on the water temperature. Yeah. Um, if it's really uh, in the Northern Territory or in the Gulf Country, it was really hot. So um, it would happen... 28 days, 35 oh, days. Wow. That truck's really good, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's bin day today. So, um, and yeah, really quickly. Um, in cooler sites, it may take double that. So mm. back in Townsville, Townsville, things were sort of a lot slower than they were in the Northern Territory. And the growth rates from an 8-millimeter metamorph to a breeding adult, which is about 90 millimeters, was within a year in, in the Northern Territory and two years on okay. the on the coast right. so so out there they just thought this is heaven they, they just yep, the yep. cycle went really quickly and it, it, the female's bigger than the male right is that correct usually yeah the female yes. just got to got to have basically have anything up to ten thousand eggs sitting in their abdomen so yeah they usually and you can sex them um when they're adults because uh, females are sort of i always described it the females have a sort of smooth pasty sort of skin and the males have little prickly skin like almost like sandpaper coarse sandpaper and so you can sex them visually very quickly or well, like i yeah. yeah but only at a certain size why why the difference that's a good question i know no um i think it was just nature's way of making biologists job a little bit easier maybe maybe the female smooth so the male can just well you would have thought the female would the have top. the sort of the velcro grip right? but, oh uh, yeah, yeah true anyway. well they hold on the males hold yeah, on for dear yeah. life I, I suppose i i really don't know the answer to that is oh. and i don't really care no i do <laughs> I, i'm a bit over toad so i actually i, I actually think cane toads are amazing now now to to paint the picture because we do have people from overseas who listen to this <laughs> podcast so can you explain to us, you mentioned before that cane toads are a pest animal here sure. in Australia. So yeah. can you just tell everyone a little bit of the history and why they're a big problem to our environment? Okay. Um, cane toads were introduced into far north Queensland, very close to where we're sitting right now, in 1935. Uh, from Hawaiian stock, they, they grabbed some uh, – they're actually native to Central and South America. I've seen them in the wild. And uh, very interesting. But they've got native predators and everything there, so they're not mm. sort of out of control. They released them in Gordonvale, just to the south of us here in 1935. Um, in They let them breed for a year and then they released the, the young and they just went crazy. And they're supposed to go into – these are areas of sugarcane and they're supposed to combat two sugarcane pests, the grey-backed and the Frenchy beetle, which are large sort of almost inch-long beetles that would chew in the stalk of the sugarcane and, and, and was mm. devastating for cane farmers and cost them a lot of money. And this is before they had pesticides. So there was a big push on to get some sort of biological control and it wasn't thought very <laughs> thought out very well, but they got cane toads in. And the cane toads live mainly on the ground. They, they're not a climbing frog, really. Mm. They, they can mm. sort of climb up a boulder a little bit, but they're not a climbing frog, not a tree frog as such. So their main life is spent on the ground. And most of the beetles were in the stalks. So you probably see where I'm going with this. Yes. They didn't really meet up very that's often. That's a big mistake. That's, a, big, that's, a, that's a whopper, isn't it? <laughs> it is and they, there were even naturalists in the, in, uh, at the time I've read a few notes saying, you know, don't do this. This is going to be devastating. Mm. It's not going to work. It's going to have a huge impact on our native fauna. Um, but no, they were determined, Department of Agriculture were determined this is going to be the magic bullet and solve all their problems. And, you know, there was all this there's conspiracy about whether it was done around sugar prices and things like that at the mm. time. There's a whole lot of politics involved in it, which I never got into. But what we know is that cane toads, decided that that street light over there or that 
person's front lawn looks a much better place to pick up lots of moths and beetles than climbing up that sugarcane. So they went and started spreading. Even within the first year, and I only found this out recently, there was still a call saying, if we collect them all now around Gordon Vale and bring it all back, because it's obviously not working, we can stop this spread. And people said, no, no, they'll be right. They're they're only, you know, they they can't do any harm, you know. And sadly, they have done a lot of harm. And, uh, you know, in some areas, they've been devastating on a lot of our our native wildlife and Mm. displacing it. And mainly due to the fact that toads are full of a a really toxic poison, Mm. bifonotoxin, found in their parotid glands on their shoulders. This is when they're adults. And any creature that thinks, oh, look at that nice frog, I'll try that, and the poison's released. The toad does it as a, you know, in a threatening situation and the animal dies. Mm. And, you know, uh, native quolls, which is a uh, carnivorous marsupial, um, sort of related to Tasmanian tigers and Tasmanian devils, but a bit smaller. They've got completely knocked out goannas that will happily feed on a frog. Um, they have been knocked out as well. And and, and there's a whole lot of, I've, you know, I've seen photos of um two-metre taipan snakes, you know, large lapid front fang snakes. It'll only go for warm-blooded animals, Mm. dead with a toad in it. Mm. So why are you eating a toad? Well, a big toad sitting on the ground carries a lot of heat, and so they're mistaking it for a mammal. So, you know, crocodiles and some freshwater crocodiles, when they first came to billabongs in northern Australia, just, no, there's another frog, and and they Mm. die. So there's even been some cases of of saltwater or estuarine crocodiles dying from them. So, So... you know, there's, there's definitely been an impact from them. We, we don't think that's caused extinctions, but it's certainly caused a loss of biodiversity in, in quite a big way. And with a female holding up to 10,000 eggs. Yeah. And, and, you, and again, going back to what I said at the start, is that getting those eggs in water, fertilised and in and out of that water onto a terrestrial stage really quickly, beating all the native frogs, so yeah. then taking all the, the food. So, you know, the, the indirect impacts of how they compete with native frogs has never really been documented. I did a study once in Cape York where I went to a pool at night and I collected all the, uh, all the cane toads there. There was lots of native frogs as well. And I, uh, the next day I, I, I killed them and I opened their stomachs up and i found that there were frogs in their stomachs little frog little yeah Yeah. so they jump past and in front of the cane toad it grabs it you know in the mud on the side of the the water uh the the pond um found stuffed you know stomach stuffed with insects the stomach was stretched with all these insects so they're insects normally that those native frogs would have had so yeah yeah. um so yeah they're they're pretty devastating so they're, they're not very popular here but they're people perceive them as quite ugly they know that they're a pest and you know it's a little bit like brush-tailed possums in New Zealand yes, you know the Australians yeah. really have a, a hatred for them and mm. um, I made a mistake once in my career Jody. very early on it gets a lot of publicity so the media every now and again want to know about toads and I was working at the university and and the journalists came out and oh you're doing a PhD on cane toads you know how wonderful and you know tell me about them and and journalists suck you in and, you know, <laughs> think, oh, yeah, you're really a nice guy. So, you know, I had to pose with a photo of a cane toad and, you know, sort of looking at it really close and, oh, yeah, that's all right. I was young and naive. Oh, no. And I, he said, as, you know, we've gone through all pretty much what I've just said about uh, the, the devastating impacts on our native wildlife. And he said, is there anything you like about cane toads? Now, 60-year-old Martin would say, no, <laughs> Twenty. Something year old Martin said, Yes, I think they have nice eyes. And of course, <laughs> there's, the, there's the lead story, you know. Biologist oh, thinks cane toads have lovely nice. eyes or something like that. So, all you need uh, to do is just kiss it. And yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised that they didn't get, go down that track. <laughs> yeah. So, with, with cane toads in <clears> Australia, <throat> they've now moved from North Queensland all the way into the Northern Territory and heading over to Western they're, Australia. They're in the Kimberley now. Yeah, yeah. They're in the, they're in the Kimberley now and they have. Ooh. 
programs right across um, wow. the Kimberley. I, I, I do coastal expeditions and we don't see them on the coast, but pretty mm. sure if I followed some of those right. watercourses up, I'd see them. So that's a big travel. Like how's the how does this work with the movement? Because that's... That's a good yeah. question and uh, it has been examined. No, I haven't been involved in cane toad research. I have to qualify now for, for nearly 25, 30 years. Mm. So it's been a while. Mm. But I keep up to date with it as an interest and studied by Rick Shine at University of Sydney and he sort of took on the funny thing is I put this in my thesis about pioneering species being big and and strong and that's why they can go and I put a chapter in my thesis about this and my supervisors at the time knocked it out and said no you can't say this you don't have enough support for it the, the, oh and then Rick Shine got onto that idea a few years later and ran with it. And, and he found out that the these toads were going down roads, literally ro- roads and tracks that we make, and the ones that were in the front had stronger, bigger leg muscles. They're actually oh. genetically sort of modified, if you want to, like, you know, Terminator toads. Uh, and that's how they were managing to cross areas that, no amphibian should be in. You know, amphibians have, rely on moisture. They yes. don't like to be dried, um, and yet they were they were moving into these wow. and rapidly. There was a study years ago where the movement from the, uh, the western border of Queensland into the Northern Territory said they were going at twenty seven kilometres a year, which is faster than the rate of human colonisation that they, they believed at the time. So, wow. yeah, cane toads can outmove, you know, move through country quicker than what humans could. So, wow. Um, that's so interesting. I don't know if that's still true. I suspect that they found out some of the, you know, that was 1987, that sort of research. So yep, yep. I think there's found different things now. But that was the sort of, wow, this thing can really travel. Yeah. There, um, I do hear a lot of um, research or information going on, especially within the Northern Territory and the and, um I didn't realise that they had actually reached Western Australia. Yeah, it's been a few now. years now, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've yeah. got a really neat map that I use on one of my talks that shows yeah. where they're in, well past Kununurra, which is just mm. over the, the into the Western Australian, into West Australia from the Northern Territory border. Yeah. So, yeah, anything tropical um, and it's got water, uh, they seem to do really yeah, well. because it does, does take a huge toll on our environment. But also here in Cairns, I, so I moved up here 20 years ago, and 20 years ago... You could go outside and look at look underneath any lamp um, or street sure. light, and there'll be so many cane toads ever all over the road. I don't see as many out and about as I used to. Does that mean numbers are differing, or there's more animals now becoming more adapted to actually control populations, or what? What, what could yeah, be the they're, difference? They're with good that? questions. They're very valid questions, and I'm not sure I can give you one straight answer. I think there's a combination of some of those mm. things. Certainly saw it, I worked on a property in the Northern Territory called Calvert Hills, which is about 100 kilometres over into the Territory border from Queensland. The toads had only been there a year before. They got there a year before. And that, when I first went there, they were everywhere. You, literally in the homestead lawn, there were, you could mm. look across at thousands. Mm. And they were big, big, healthy things. And... By the time I'd finished my studies, I think the last time I went back there was about four years later, though they were harder to find and they were smaller. And then there's also been population, similar population fluctuations in uh, this part of the world as well. I'm not sure. I know the wet season has a lot to do with it. The, uh, so We have had changes. We have had changes. And I got a feeling that the, it's the dry patches in between the – the wet patches that mm. mean that they can't get out of that water body onto land. Mm. So the years when that stopped, which seems to be most years, means that the population will eventually go down and probably the size of them will be limited as well. Mm. The years when we have a couple of really big wet seasons and continuous continuous water, then they'll just bounce back yeah. again because yeah. they can do it so readily. So I suspect their population, if you'd modelled their population over the 70 or 80 years they've been here, it'd be a little bit like up and down, up and down, up and down um, with peaks and troughs. Mm. Mm. But, yeah, it's a really interesting question. I've been asked uh, a lot and I've got a lot of thoughts on it, but I don't think animals have really adapted to them that much. But More more humans, more aware of the impacts, so therefore collecting them maybe or I don't don't know. You can do that if you have a – 
proper i know they in brisbane they had a park and they you know toad busted for for um continuously for quite a while and and they, and they documented native frogs coming back and things like that yeah. but you know you that's relatively easy in a high density urban area and people say well why don't we just put a bounty on them and that'll get rid of them well (laughs) most of the toads are in places that there's not another human being within 100 kilometers so how do you do that you you can't get those so there's no practical control program a very quick announcement to make that I'm so excited. Our home education virtual portal is up and running and you can visit that at www.australianwildlifeeducation.com and if you are a parent or you know other parents who have children ages 4 to 12, this one is specifically for them and they get to learn more about Australian wildlife. Well, there are there are some um, animals that can deal with a minimal amount of that poison like the um, sawshell turtle. Oh yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah. it's it's only a small yeah. little toad. Yeah, and they're, and they're, and they're, they're, the parotid glands haven't really completed mm. with the tox. We we estimated as from when they're thirty millimeters and onwards, they got pretty toxic. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I I was at the, my site in Townsville one night and um, you know walking around a dam collecting. And a, a frogmouth, a tawny frogmouth, oh, yeah. which is a, a night bird, not an owl, but um, sort of more related to night jars. It came down. I watched it come down from a treetop, and it swooped on a cane toad on the ground. And it went back up to its perch, swallowed it, straight away regurgitated it, and flew up. It didn't keel over and die. So, and, but the toad was forty-three millimeters. Wow. Still remember that. It was wow. a long, long time ago. But and I also witnessed water rats flipping them mm. uh they're, they're a a native rodent that really aquatic sort of native rodent we have here that not a lot of people know about they're beautiful animals and uh i watched them toads sort of sitting around a, a water hole and they flipped them they took out some of the soft uh the, the belly skin's really soft they, they split that with their teeth got some things like liver and the heart and just left the poor toad mm. half oh, wriggling up <laughs> on its back and you know they would they would do 15 to 20 Wow. In a row, okay. and, uh, so, but you think, well, you know, if we had millions of water rats, we'd, mm. we we wouldn't have toads. But right. you know, water rats uh, yeah. populations are, are. I don't think toads are their normal prey. So, mm. Yeah. Mm. and some animals have shifted, and but not to the extent of say where they live naturally in the Amazon mm. or or Central South America. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, do they, we do we have any native toads in Australia? No, we don't. No. no so, so we we grew with our isolated fauna. Um, you know, for so many million years mm. without that group of frogs. Remember, yeah. a lot of people think of the toads, it's just another frog. It's a, it's a frog yeah. yeah. Um, and so you can't just put a virus in yeah. to impact toads without it impacting mm. frogs. Uh, yes. you know, that's that's a lot of people say, why don't we just develop a virus that attacks, you know, like Khaleesi virus or something like that, you know, that impacts yeah. rabbits. Well, yeah. you will just wipe out all our native frog. Mm. And the other thing that there's also international pull for us not to do anything about a control agent because if it got out of this country, it impacts oh, toads right. and you know Borneo have toads. Um, you know countries not far away of us have have you know really good populations of native toads, mm. and that virus would impact on them, mm. or that, that that control agent would impact mm. on them. So, so there's no real support for getting rid of them. So, what are frogs? Wow, I don't know what what little amphibian things. So, <laughs> so what's an amphibian? So, all right. So, uh, <laughs> gee, you asked plen- you asked a tricky question. There are so plenty of people I, right I need, now probably wondering well, what's an amphibian. What's I, need, a frog? I need to get my textbook out. <laughs> so, um, an amphibian is is one of the most primitive um, groups of animals with a backbone. So, neurons are the frogs, and amphibians also include salamanders. Um, and newts, and also there's another one, which is, a, is it the poda, the, the legless ones? I can't um, remember. I'm thinking of salamander. The yeah. Anyway, there's a, there's a couple of different groups, but we only have frogs Absolutely. in Australia. Absolutely. Yeah, well, they're, they're in the salamanders. Salamander? Yeah, they're, they're more of the newt family. But we, we only have um, – uh, there's a completely like a big fat worm type that's a completely different group, and I've just lost that name. But anyway – um, we only have frogs, 
as uh, the only amphibians that we have in our part of the world. And we have quite a good you know, range of species. We have, I think they've changed it now. It used to be five families, but I think it's about seven or eight now that have split a few families. But, you know, we have tree frogs, we have ground-dwelling frogs, uh, we have the microhylids, which are little mini frogs that live a lot in the wet tropical rainforest here. Um, we have wood frogs, which is one species of rana, which is a very common group all around the world. And then the fifth one is the introduced um, bufonidae, um, the cane toad. So, um, but I think there's split a couple of those now, that, which I don't know the names of. But so about seven families of frogs in Australia now. Yeah, yeah, and um, and all of them mean. Like I like to explain it to kids, like it's sure. amphibian is like two lives. Yeah, starts yeah. off as the the tadpole, or you know, and then and then <laughs> goes on to. A- yeah, there are there are as I said, probably a more primitive, probably related or evolved from the very first things that came onto land. The primitive amphibians were certainly very aquatic, and then. I'm always like the Larson cartoon where someone's throwing the ball onto land and and uh, the fish are looking at the ball on land and they go great leaps in evolution and it's a little bit like that how frogs you know sort of came out of the water and well evolved into frog or into amphibians on land so it's a bit more complicated than that but um, when you get into it but that's simplifying it yeah. yeah and so they lay eggs in water they need moisture for their eggs. With the difference between the next group, which is the reptiles, which don't need moisture for their eggs, they've got a hard shell. Frogs have got a soft. so there are some. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure you would know this, but there are some um, frogs around the world where they carry the eggs in their mouth, or they do. Yeah, there's all sorts of adaptations. For, so it's still yeah. moisture, obviously, yeah. in there. But, yeah. yeah, that's really cool because then they they may not have access to water at all times, so therefore they'll use yeah. themselves. Mm. Or um, when I was in South America, there was the ones that are in the bromeliads. Oh, yeah, and they, so high dropped, up yeah. in the tree, yeah. like so far up in the trees. It was amazing. There's a whole lot of really cool adaptations of frogs yeah. too. So um, the, the, the ones that I like... Uh, well, I've I've come across. I was in Borneo many years ago, and we were, it was a night. It was wet, and there was frogs everywhere. And I was out with my late partner, and we were photographing frogs, and came up to just a sort of a little pool in the on the track, even. And there was this funny looking brownish sort of frog there, and I was after the glamorous green ones, of course. So I took a couple of photos of it and moved on. And I was just sitting sitting there, in a nice pose. And, Later, it was probably the next day when I was going reviewing my photos from that night, and I looked at it and I thought, what's on the back? And then I zoomed in, and there are little tadpoles on the back. And it's called a rough a, a, a rough skin guardian frog, I found out later. It had about 20 tadpoles. You see the eyes and the tails, so mature tadpoles. And so what with he was doing, yeah, yeah. So what he was doing is he's... Take he gathered the tadpoles up. This is the dad, apparently. The father gathered them up, put him on his back, and then takes them down to a deeper pool. And oh. I caught that frog on wow. the way, so yeah, that was oh, very lucky cool. you yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, photo. yeah no, so, That's amazing. One and of my favorites because when you just said that, I was like, Well, how can they survive out of water? They're, they've got gills, they're you know, they need the oxygen from the water, so that's amazing. Um, but one thing I love, um, is, is is the adaptations of frogs and looking at the feet and it gives you a clue at what sure. they could potentially yeah. be able to do. Yeah. Um, I love our burrowing frogs here in Australia. I think burrowing frogs are really yeah. cool. But Little do, fat golf balls. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they yeah. do look like. And all of a sudden I, I do remember up in the Northern Territory up at Crumba having a, you know, a nice cold beer watching the sunset and you hear all these frog noises un- from underground just under your feet and you're just thinking, what is going on? They're everywhere. And then it's the burrowing frogs. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really cool. So yeah. how many frogs do we have in Australia? How many species? Ooh. It's 100 I or so. It's 100. I, sh- I should have the changes, yeah, you should have, you should have <laughs> given me a bit of a heads up. I could have, no, uh, it's just roughly. I mean, it's really cool. I think it's just over 100, isn't it? Or is it more? Oh, Jody, you've got me on the spot now. Good. Um, Martin? <laughs> I wrote a talk about frogs couple of years ago um, yeah i was just wondering how many um species but basically the decline of certain species has been happening a lot australia wide but we we notice a lot here in north queensland 
Yeah, I, when I first came up here, Australia has 240 species of native frog. Native frog. So, yeah, so, yeah, so, um, so thank you, Google. Um, <laughs> so when I first came up here in 87 as a Melbourne boy, and that's probably the Jetstar flight to Melbourne going off now, um, obviously the, everything up here was pretty well new to me, so I would just go crazy. I went up into the rainforest and camped at a place called Mount Lewis, which is high-altitude rainforest. Probably take me just over an hour to get to the top, 27 kilometres to the top of this mountain, these beautiful creeks, and we camped there. And there were frogs everywhere. In fact, there was, if you walk down the creek during the day, there's this beautiful rocky sort of uh, fern-lined, mossy, rocky creek, just beautiful. And if, every time you walk onto a rock down the creek, you have to stop and watch these little frogs, little brown mm. frogs jump away. Mm. This is during the day. And these were um, uh, sharp-snouted day frogs, Tildactylus acutorostris. And there were thousands of them, literally thousands of them. And then at night, they would go to sleep and their cousin, Tordactus reophilus, very similar, would come out. And they had a really nice tink, tink, tink. Oh. And there was another species there as well. They're all extinct. In So 1987, in about early 90s, they disappeared and we haven't seen or heard of them since. Oh. And that's due to a, a chytrid fungus, that, um, which is another story probably for another day, but it's a, a fungus naturally occurring that sort of got into these these frog populations and sort of went from north to uh, south to north and um, impacted especially these frogs that had what we call low fecundity rates, which means they don't lay a lot of eggs. Cane toads have 10,000 mm. eggs. That's a high fecundity. These things maybe lay 20, 25, 30 eggs. Oh. So that's a low fecundity. So a, a fungus comes in and, and, and impacts mm. their ability to survive and to breed. So, and, and that's cutting a long story short. It's a lot more complicated than that. But um, And there's people that have been working on this for a long time. It happened right across the world. So, wow. uh, yeah, we lost those species. So I can go to the same spot now and still, you know, I got photos of the things. And I just, mm. I thought they were common mm. as muck then. And I just took some good photos of them. But now they're, oh. they're like gold, you know, the photos of a species that no longer exists. Yeah. That's very sad. It is very yeah. sad. I wrote a few articles at the time about when the, the streams fell silent and, um, you know, all the, the, those familiar noises of those frogs because they all have really cute little calls. Um, just, yeah, you don't oh, hear them not, anymore. Nothing like the sound of frogs. No. Like there's no. just a beautiful, healthy habitat and just yeah. the, oh, as, as noisy as they can get. One thing I have noticed actually in my backyard in the last couple of years, mainly in the last two years, I've got a lot more frogs. A nice. lot, lot more of the um, common green tree frog and then your little little dainty ones. And um, we've come across some that oh, what are they called? Sedge? Is it sedge, sedge frogs? Sedge frogs, yeah, yeah, they're cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so it, more so in the last couple of years. However, I do have some random cane toads around. So um, I have removed those ones even though yeah. I really liked my big girl that was yeah. there. I mean, <laughs> it the, the, one the, of those the, things. Um, it's a good point because people say, I, I've been on tour and shown them a cane toad and people say, well, why don't you just squash it or kill it or, or run over it if I'm driving? And I said, well, there's, there's a whole range of reasons why I don't. It's not in my nature. But no animal, whether it's supposed to be here or not, deserves to die a cruel exactly. death. So you can do it humanely. And at the moment, I believe that collecting them in a plastic bag and putting them into a freezer yeah. is humane. There's some arguments against that, which I don't really um, support. It, it basically, they're, they're a cold-blooded animal. It just cools them down slowly and eventually they get, you know, they freeze and, mm. and they die. Mm. Um, that's, to me, you can that. do that to me when I want to pop off. You oh, can sure, just, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think that freezer over there is big enough. No, I no, I'll get a bigger fun. freezer, yeah. <laughs> but I suspect that that's um, that's probably a pretty humane mm. way for an animal. Well, it's better than I. a golf club because a lot yeah. of people do that and I actually don't like that either. And I did have my big girl in my backyard for a while. Um, but then we actually <laughs> had a discussion about this with my partner and then we've got a puppy as well. And because if yeah. the puppy grabs yeah. it, then unfortunately yeah. he will become quite yeah, yeah. sick. Yeah. So um, I did remove her. Yeah, they can kill small dogs. Yes, yep. yes. And he was thinking it was really fun to chase the cane toad. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. So at that particular time, my frogs were in certain areas of my backyard, the 
female cane toad was over there, but it was it was her time, unfortunately. And it and it is it's it's still an animal, right? Yeah, yeah. Just because it's a pest yeah. in Australia yeah. doesn't mean it. yeah. And it's not the it's yeah. not the cane toad's fault. It's here. It's it's our fault, humans. Mm. We're the ones that brought it in, and we're the ones that let it escape and become a pest species. So, you know, that individual animal is just doing what it does. It's mm. it's it doesn't mean any harm to us. It's just doing what it does. So it deserves. No, no animal deserves to be, you know, treated cruelly. So yeah, exactly. Uh, and hitting with the golf club, a may not is probably not going to kill it straight away. Mm. And also, if you hit a parotid gland, that gland on the shoulder with the mm. poison, it sort of comes out like it's like compressed in there, and you yeah. can squeeze it; it'll come out like a pimple. Yeah. You know, with great force. And I've heard of people doing things like that and getting squirted in the no. eye. That's not pleasant. That's a <laughs> that's a very powerful toxin that mm. can lead to blindness if if you actually you know don't treat it straight away. Yep. So. So don't do stupid things. And Dettol's another one. Ooh. People, you know, put disinfectant and things on them. And because frogs are, they, you know, they breathe a lot through their skin, that that uh, chemical gets into their into their individual cells and the individual cells burst. Mm. And again, I don't think that's a particularly nice way to die. So yeah. there's no need to be cruel. I mean, sure, you know, I've been collecting a few in my yard and I encourage people to, to collect them because you might get a higher spike in your native frog diversity so yeah yeah um, definitely yeah. especially your yard it's beautiful but can you talk to us a little bit about the anatomy of frogs because what you just said then was that they breathe through their skin sure. so a lot of people don't know a sure. lot of things about frogs well they, so. they don't i mean they breathe with lungs yes. they have lungs just like any other yep. um, sort of tetrapod skin. what we call four-legged you know land animal but they also can take um, moisture up through their through you know pores in their skin they can actually take up moisture which is why they don't live in mm. well they they can live underground as you know deep burrowing frogs but as a rule you won't see one on in a desert um yeah. you know it's yeah. too dry they'll they'll desiccate they rely on moisture the, the amphibians again means water and land so you rely on having that moisture always available and then the next step evolutionary step was reptiles where you don't you you, you can hold a lot of adaptations to limit your water loss, which mm. we won't go into now. But yeah. there's, which is really cool. They're very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, but definitely. frogs haven't got that. And and you know, people. So basically, they, if you were a frog right now, yeah. you would stick your arm in your water cup in your cup there, and your and just just drink through your arm. Drink <laughs> through your skin. No, I think that's taking it a little bit far. Uh, they they sit in water, and so, then they absorb it. Yeah, through the skin. remember I said about that belly skin was really thin. Yes, yes. So in a lot of frogs, that belly skin is really thin and, and, and got a lot mm. of pores. I know cane toads especially like to go into muddy ground, yep. and they just sit on the mud, mm. and I, something through. may something may come past that they can yeah. eat. But the idea is that they're getting that uptake yeah. of water from the from the mud, yeah. especially when it's really hot and dry. Yeah. And there's, you know, last water around. So one of the things I noted in my PhD, my sort of area of weakness, so to speak, in the life cycle was late in our dry season when there's limited shelter. So you need it. If you, if you got, if it's really dry and you can't get moisture, you need to protect yourself somehow so that you don't lose that moisture. So what I found was shelter sites were really important and they needed to be shelter sites where they could retain their moisture. And eventually it gets to the point where they can't do that anymore. And late right. dry season is a real critical point. So, you know, you could have 95% of all those toads in that area knocked out by an intense, like, you know, we're talking about October, November, when it gets really yeah. hot before the wet season rains. 5% survive through, mm. and that 5% can breed so quickly and so effectively that build that back number back wow. up again. Wow. But yeah. variations on that will mean whether you've probably got a high or a low cane toad population. So then the the health of the waterways, the health of, well, let, let's just talk about even the chemical use around our homes and stuff. Does that affect our frogs? Because if they're absorbing through their yeah. skin. Yeah, there's, frogs are supposed to be or reportedly a key indicator of health of wetlands and things like that. So water quality is really important. Mm. So yeah, these these things can make a difference. I mean, I know you 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 practice what you preach at home, and um, I don't use chemicals here at home. Um, but yeah, I well, mean, it they keeps all go, insects yeah, around yeah, for starters, yeah, which then yeah. attract the, those. Yeah, it's a different animals, mindset but, though. I mean, you and I. You know, have our gardens to attract wildlife. Mm. Some people like to have a decorative garden and, and don't really want wildlife. It's, um, I hope the listeners out here would appreciate that 
yeah, it's a garden where you've got a lot of the local animals coming in is mm. very exciting. I, I, I'm excited by it. And then, of course, what you use on, on what you use does have impacts, especially on on frogs because they're so sensitive to yeah. water. So, you know, if you've got really polluted creeks uh, or waterways near you. Um, yeah, it'd be a good idea to get involved and try and get rid of that pollution and try, you know, as I said, getting rid of cane toads and cleaning up these waterways, the, the frogs will come back. Right? Yes, it's, yes. You know, it's uh, they're, they're really good at adapting back to, mm. you make it good for them, they'll come. If you build it, they will come sort of thing. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. They're pretty cool animals. They are really cool mm. animals. I love the way they eat as well and different. So are they all insect eaters or are there some that will adapt to certain other species? No, most of them are, are uh, invertebrate prey. Um, cane toads, if you put a little mouse in front of it, it'll mm. eat it. Uh, but they're not selecting. They're not carnivorous mm. selectively. And I don't think any species of frog I'm not going to say that about all amphibians because there might be some salamanders, some of the big yep. salamanders yep. in, in other countries that might be uh, carnivorous. Mm. But, you know, even as tadpoles there, you know, they, they, they will eat mainly detritus and algae. But yep. they, they probably, are, you know, they, they, I know if there's, I've seen them cannibalise other tadpoles. Mm. So, mm. I find it fascinating when I watch my frog feeding, feeding him. I call him Flop. Because when he jumps, he flops. <laughs> I should call him Splat, but um, and I and I love watching him take his cricket and he uses his tongue, but he also uses his two front feet to grab hold of it so it doesn't get away and bring yeah, it. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then watching how he's kind of got it in his mouth, and I just imagine this insect with six legs just. Oh, oh, I couldn't. Well, you know what they do, that. don't you? They they basically descend yeah. their eyeballs. Yeah, to watching that push that food down its throat. Yes. So we swallow. It's a natural mm. thing for us to swallow. Well, they, they don't have that ability. No. So what they do is they have that sort of sticky, detachable tongue yeah. sort of thing. They get the food into their mouth and then they sort of stuff it in with their front legs, as you yeah. said, yeah. and oh. then then basically drop their eyes mm. onto the roof of their mouth to push yeah. that push down their gut. And, and that <clears throat> in itself is fascinating because when you watch that closely, and I tell people, like, look, look, watch, watch. And he goes, oh, yeah, he just blinked. And I was like, yeah, they have to blink their eyes <laughs> yeah. to swallow their food. So yeah. I, because I work with kids, Martin, I yeah. always talk to the kids about, so when you're eating your Vegemite sandwich, see, like today when you're having lunch, see if you have to blink your eyes like wrong. <laughs> the kids sit there and they're actually just like blinking, <laughs> swallowing. Yeah. I said, you know, it's, it's one of those really cool adaptations that adults kind of go, what? Are I thought s- my life was weird. <laughs> Oh, oh man, I work with animals and children. <laughs> like I get to talk about crazy stuff. Well, I have worked with the BBC a few times filming frogs, and that's always a, a challenge. But frogs aren't the easiest things in the world mm. to film. And, um, now, do all frogs do that, by the way, in regards to the eyes and swallowing? Um, I've only seen it on some of the larger species. I'm not sure about because I know the, the green lot, tree frogs. The, a lot of the little species are only eating little prey, mm. and I don't think they have that necessity. No. I think it's the big species. Um, you know the wide mouth frogs um, that uh, that have to ha- have some assistance, but no, I don't. I don't think it's frog wide. Mm. I think the I think they could if they got something really big, but yeah. I think most of them take small prey. But so there you yeah. go, everyone. Next time you see a frog, a green tree frog, watch the eyes. You'll see that they have to blink yeah. their eyes to swallow their food or help assist. Assist, yes, yes, yeah, it's yeah. cool. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. What are you laughing at? I feel that you've got this internal joke in your head. You no, know, well, I did the I did the wide mouth frog joke, and um, it was an old joke, wasn't it? Yeah. About the uh, people on there that may remember listening that may remember Dave Allen, a great Irish comic who used to do the wide mouth frog joke. So, I'm not, um, I haven't the problem it. is I can't remember it completely oh. now. I just remember the it's the old joke of um, the wide mouth frog. Um, uh, I, can't, I can't remember it. Oh, Jody, don't do this to me. But the, the punchline is the frog closes his mouth and goes, oh, you don't see many of them nowadays because he realises he's talking to someone that eats wide-mouth frogs. Oh, but right. anyway, so I think, yeah. Can we, can we cut that bit out? <laughs> no, that's staying in. That's staying in. Now, um, now, in Australia, I would love to actually know. Oh, you've got to give me another. I've yep. got to know another stat. I want to know yeah. what's our smallest frog in Australia and what's our largest frog in Australia. Oh, well, the largest is the white lip, yeah. so, which is the one we – so there's, there's, I've got a frog poster in oh, a, yes, a print inside and he yes. sits behind my frog print every day. Um, so they can grow to about the size of an adult hand. 
um, about 90, 100 millimetres. Um, mm. Yeah, so they, they, they're nice. They're big tree frog with big pads and things like that. They're, they're an impressive frog. So yeah, the white lip tree frog, yeah, yeah. White lipstick, yeah. Very distinctive and, yeah, sometimes you can get them iridescent green. That, that you know, I've seen them in aqua kind of once, once. I've only ever seen I've them. seen them t- in different like colours, yeah. In the aqua yeah. kind of bluey colour. Mm. It was amazing. But isn't that what the scientific name means? It actually means. No, that's cerulea. So ah. um, the green tree. So that's the, the white lip tree frog. The, 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 um, the common green tree frog, which is a common one right up the east coast of Australia. Okay. And it's. It's also very big. It's Elamus is big and, and only a little bit different. Um, They're the ones I have. They, oh. don't, they don't have white lips. Mm. Um, but they, their scientific name is Latoria cerulea. Mm. And cerulea means blue. blue and of course, yes. well, they're as green as green. So why? <laughs> yeah. But apparently, the first one that was when they collected in mm. Australia, they sent it back to the um, Natural History Museum in, in London and they pickled it, obviously, in formalin. And by the time they got it, it was actually blue. So they, that's how they got the nose. <laughs> I so, love that. <laughs> I think that's really cool. That is really cool. <laughs> a green tree frog that is never yeah, actually yeah. going to smallest, be blue. Smallest, there's, um, there's a whole lot of little toadlets um, in a group called Crinia. And I suspect. You know they're they're really tiny, and I suspect that they're probably I don't know exactly which one is the mm. smallest, but we have a lot of frogs threatened in this country at the moment. Um, uh, some of the the ones in the high country between New South Wales and Victoria, all that you know the man from Snowy River. There's a lot of sedges there, and sort of sedge uh, habitat, and there's these beautiful frogs, uh, the corroboree frogs, which are beautiful. Um, uh, yellow and black, yes, and there's a couple of species there, and they're really under threat from ski mm. ski lifts, and they require specific habitat, and also um, yeah. the feral animals running around that country eating their habitat. So they're in trouble. Um, they're the ones that I can think of, but all frogs are uh, – some can be very successful, and uh, their numbers are probably never going to – you know, change, but well, if the same problem and threats are still around, and you've got you these zoos and um, amazing people doing amazing work and trying to breed them up, sure. but if you don't fix the actual problem and then you yeah. release them back again, then yeah. you're, just, you're just back to square one eventually. Yeah. So, yeah. um, it's it's really good that there are lots of collaborative projects going on in regards to yeah. that. So, yeah. I did I did a, a couple of weeks working for a friend of mine in the Amazon. Um, who is a major frog researcher who works at the Catholic University in Quito in Ecuador. And Andres did his PhD here. And uh, Andres is a lovely guy. And hello, if you're listening, Andres. Um, he, he and I and four other Spanish speakers went on a road trip through southern Ecuador to try and find these species that they'd found years before. And some of them are spectacular coloured and patterned and going through uh, um, you know all the high altitude country and the rivers and creeks and then into the Amazon rainforest and oh, it was well the only problem was that I didn't know what the hell they were talking about all the time <laughs> and we ate at some places that um, yeah well that's sort of when you get way out sort of right near the Peruvian border that there's only tiny villages there and there's this sort of open shed with this old woman with a big pot. And they said, oh, we'll stop and have lunch there. I go, okay. It's not like there's fast food outlets. There. Although you can get fast food outlets that have um, kai and chips, which is uh, guinea pig and yes, chips. Sort of thing. Pig, yes. Anyway, we were f- further away from those places. And so this old lady stirring this pot and there's feet sticking up in it and all sorts of things. And very interesting. Yes, that would be. <laughs> yeah, so, but the frogs were cool uh, and uh, I saw lots of really interesting different frogs to ours and, and you know, highest biodiversity of frogs is in the Amazon basin. So yeah. Yeah, it was a good place. Oh. I had my worst ex- medical experience on that trip. Uh-oh. So we were working at night with spotlights and, and head torches and everything. I had a moth fly into oh. my ear. and. It didn't just fly into the air. It went and landed right in the middle and went, you know, how most times you can get something out or you can say, hey, look, can you get that out for me? No, it was – and it was flapping. You so, needed a frog. Yeah, a frog, yeah you could it. grab a frog yeah, and stick, stick it in my – um, anyway, this thing wouldn't stop flapping and I couldn't get it out. And basically I had to go back and wait for them to finish their work. I just had to go and sit, you know, back in the car. And, you know, we're talking about three or four in the morning when we're finished and I'm sitting there, do you know, 
anyone that's had anything like this knows this I've is never. this is torture. It's a flapping going on in your ear and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> but that's so I, I got fitful sleep and it died overnight, I take it, because it stopped flapping. <laughs> and got taken to this these tiny villages. I got this sort of one medical room uh, and I was brought in. I'm the only person that can't speak Spanish. And one room I was put on the on the um, on the strip, on the bench or something, and and the I presume was a doctor was going to look at me, and he uh, had about forty people in this room, none of which I've ever met before or could speak to, and they're all in there watching this gringo, and <laughs> so he poured a little bit of oil in there, and eventually pulled out this moth that was a quite a big moth, and uh, great relief. But yeah, that's, that's sorry, that was not nothing to do with frogs, but um. Well, he would. The frog would have handled the moth a lot better than me. The frog would have handled. Yeah. See, I would have yeah. just gone and grabbed a frog. Oh, <laughs> look, you need to just toughen up there, Martin. Thank you. <laughs> you, put, you put a moth in your ear and see here. If you go. I was with you, I would have ran. Just yeah. stop it, go and sit in the car. My, my friend Andres, who, who abandoned me at that medical clinic, I must have. He, he thought it was hysterical, of course. It Great friend. And the thing is, a few years later, he told me that he had the same thing happen. And he realized how horrendous yes, it is. I can only later. imagine. Yeah, I actually yeah. have never had that happen, yeah. thank goodness. And when you're in the middle of the jungle, uh, I don't think you really want that to be happening. No, no. no. So I was literally on the border between Ecuador and Peru, and yeah, right. all you can see is Amazon, wow. nothing else. It wow. Was, it was that sounds magic. It was actually. fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Amazing. Well, like always, it's always interesting sure. to have a chat with you. <laughs> Thanks for the tough questions. <laughs> oh, come on. you got to know your stuff. Yeah. No, yeah. I think I think frogs and, and toads or frogs um, is a really cool thing to talk about, and I think, for us here, especially in North Queensland, we have so many beautiful frogs around. But like what you said, we have had some um, extinction there yeah. with that. And I think it's really interesting to know and understand the biology of frogs and their role in the environment, but also what what even frogs are. Like a lot of people have no idea that even the word amphibian is mm. basically means two lives. Um, so being for them being able to start off as that, you know, from an egg to a tadpole, like what you said, it just eats fish poo and bits yeah. of weeds and stuff and yeah. it's got gills and it yeah. actually has to grow lungs yeah. and then be able to grow legs. It's an then, amazing metamorphosis. Amazing. Um, uh, it's like, you know, um, you know, we're all fascinated, you know, by uh, things like dragonflies yes. or cicadas yeah. that that do this incredible, or butterflies, that do this incredible life, you know, oh. how did that ever happen? <laughs> you start your life like that and then you have to go through this transformation and then do that. I mean, and, and frogs do it really well and, and they've been successful for over 200-odd mm. million years and, wow. uh, you know, they survived all these major extinctions and, mm. you know, frogs are, are really, as said, People say that they're a key to our environmental health, especially of waterways. So we need them. We need yeah, them. And, and they're pretty cool. And I love going to sleep with the sound of frogs, except sometimes those big gold, oh, no, not big, they're tiny little ones. Yeah, well, it's amazing oh, how much noise a small frog a can make. Frog. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Sometimes that can be a bit too yeah. much. <laughs> well, it's much better than the sound of aeroplanes oh, flying yeah. past. Hey, so, it's yeah. good news that there's yeah. aeroplanes happening. <laughs> Actually, hang on a minute. No, not, not good news <laughs> yes for the environment. No. Yeah. Good news for our yeah. movement here in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you very much. For My pleasure along. as always, Jodie. I'm, I'm sure I will find um, another topic for you to talk thanks about Thanks for next keep time. doing what you're doing. Yeah, no, I love it. I love learning and, and um, yeah, so thank you for mm. coming along and mm. we will get you back next yeah, time. Yeah, I'll tell the the um, the. Uh, the, the joke better next, yeah, time. next time so yeah, yeah, that'll yeah, be good. yeah just get your jokes in line yeah. write it down maybe yeah. next time <laughs> thank you martin thanks Harry. bye, bye. Wow, another awesome wild chat, which I hope you really enjoyed because I can tell you now I absolutely did. I would really love to connect with you all as well. So please don't forget to find us on Facebook and Instagram, which you can get the links in our podcast show notes. I have them right there for you. And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us by spreading the word. You can also take a screenshot of the episode you just listened to, share it on your socials and tag us in it, of course. We would also love a review. If you have time, please jump on your podcast channel you just listened to us on and give us a review, give us some feedback and don't forget to click that big subscribe button which of course helps us spread the word even further and 
for you to also be notified for any upcoming episodes. If you are somebody or know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who would love to be on our Australian Wildlife Education Wild Chats, please send them my way or get in contact with me. Also in the show notes, you can find all those details on how to get in contact. I love chatting and also learning from others who can showcase their knowledge, their expertise, but also their passion and any projects that they might have going on. So please reach out to me as I would love to get you on our podcast. But otherwise, I hope you're all amazing. I hope you're all having a great day. And I will, you'll be hearing from me in the next wild chat. See you next week. Bye.